Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. This is a companion episode to the first part of our interview with Professor Robert Thurman. We wanted to give our thoughts, reflections, and insights into the interview and highlight some of the topics that came up that might be new for some people or were perhaps glossed over in the process of conversation. We touch again on the idea of authoritarian dependency, talking about epiphanies versus the enlightened state and happiness as a means of liberation, amongst much more. We hope this helps as to highlight some of the deep teachings that Professor Thurman shared with us and with you. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail your spirit has been longing for. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Hey, fellow and tears, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. So today we have a different kind of an episode, what I guess we'll probably end up calling uh, sort of a commentary episode, G&T Spark Notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had on uh, Dr. Robert Thurman as one of our very special guests. And it's something I thought about before with other guests. Uh, we want people to come on to share their deep ideas. That's one of the purposes of the whole podcast. But then, of course, their ideas are deep. So in order to help make these episodes maybe just a little bit more meaningful to folks, uh, the idea was that we would do kind of a little follow-up commentary episode on some of the ones that got particularly deep. Um, and so it'll be, you know, Daniel and I kind of discussing what we got out of, you know, part of the Robert Thurman episode because he, we asked him to go deep and he really did. <laughs> Don't you think, Daniel? Oh, I agree completely, completely. He, he definitely, he, he gave us, more, you know, I would say all that we had hoped for and, and more than we asked for. That's so true. So a generous guy for sure with his with, time and, with his, and with his knowledge, yeah. So um, the funny part is that there's a little danger that this commentary might be even a little bit as long as the original. Hmm. <laughs> so like G&T anti-spark notes. Right, yeah. Um, but there is a t- uh, Tibetan tradition like this, and I guess I'd say an Asian spiritual tradition like this overall, that you might have something that's a little bit shorter, um, and then there'll be longer commentaries on it. A really famous one is the Heart Sutra, which I know in my Zen days I chanted every day. And in a Tibetan setting, they usually chant before teachings as well. It's really famous for talking about form and emptiness. And even if you just do a search online and probably, I know either in, uh, we'll put it up in the Facebook page. We can put it up in Instagram. We'll give some links to where you can find this thing. By the way, yeah, we do have a uh, Facebook and an Instagram. So if you would, please, uh, it's Jin and Tantra. So on Facebook, Jin and Tantra, Instagram, Jin and Tantra. And we are posting some of these uh, videos that we're making uh, for some of the episodes on YouTube, also Jin and Tantra. Um, so, you know, if you get a chance, you want to check them out that way, that'd be great. You know, obviously like subscribe, comment, uh, share, you know, all that kind of stuff. That'd be yeah, great. At this point, I, I keep thinking that 
you have an interview with Robert Robert Thurman. It's so great. People need to see it. You know, there's some of the stuff's being produced. They have nothing to do with us. No, but just, you know, you get like someone like Dr. Thurman. I was like, okay, this has to be seen by people. So correct. During this past week, we got super, super busy bees and we started really setting up all the YouTube and, uh, Facebook and Instagram. We had them, but we're getting more diligent about it. We're diligent, diligent, better bees. So, you know, going back to the heart suture thing, there'll be this thing where people will comment and the comment might be, you know, it'll be a page and a half and people might write commentary, commentary, commentary for pages and pages and pages. So it seemed like maybe for some of our deeper guests, it would be helpful to people to do that. And certainly helpful for Daniel and I too, to like just have the aftermath discussion. Yeah. Right? Agreed. Agreed. That's kind of like you do after a lot of things. You go see a play, you go see a movie, you read a good book, you're in a book club, you talk afterwards, right? Just to, uh, comment on what you learned from what you experienced, you know? I mean, even more, moreover, it's life. I mean, we, we share memories with people that we talk about and experiences that we've had that we talk about and, you know, share our thoughts and, you know, our feelings and what we learned from that. So this is just one way of taking a more denser, I'll say illuminating conversation and, and highlighting some of the more technical aspects that probably were missed by people who don't have the background. Yeah. Cause it, like we we're asking for deep dives and people are giving it given us deep dives, but yeah. you know, it's good to have the context for it. It's funny in the commentary thing, when I was writing my notes, you know, you, t- you talk about reflecting afterwards and just from the Tantra side, I think sometimes you even do the after sex, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you go, Hey, that was really cool when you did that. Or this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do that again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do the, it'd be the same thing after you come, come out of the bathroom sometimes too, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. My 18 year old come out and like describe all kinds of things about her shits, you know, and right. like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like how wonderful it was. My son did it yesterday. He was like, I had the best shit. I was like, good for you, man. Good you're for like, you. You're like, great. I, I wasn't asking, but you know, thanks for sharing. Well, you know, uh, uh, if I would have known to ask, I would have. <laughs> okay. So um, we did the Thurman. Oh yeah. One other thing about this real quick. Yeah. You know, the other part about this I was thinking about is, you know, if you're studying this stuff that we're trying to do in Tibet, and I knew one guy I met up at uh, the Dalai Lama's monastery in New York, Namgal. I did a couple of trips up there for some retreats that he was going to get one of these degrees. They call it a Geshe degree. Yeah. So to learn all of this Buddhist philosophy and theory and the things that we're trying to present here, it's like an 18 year degree. (laughs) And we don't have time, any of us as modern Americans to go do an 18 year degree. Like we don't have the time to do it. So, but you know, I was thinking like, that's why GNT is here for you, right? We're trying to do this where we can get some of these ideas out to people in a more bite-sized form to like hopefully help people add to their lives, add to their experiences of their lives, grow, develop, like the way it's been good for us. So Mm -hmm. we're kind of your audio podcast geshe degree, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Uh, Maybe we should have a little certificate at the end. No, we would never do that. We'll never do that. No certificates. No certificates. No certificates. Everyone is just on the honor system. They do it for their, you do it for yourself. We'll debate you. We'll we'll, we'll do debates. And like they did in Tibet, if uh, we win, you have to give up all of your beliefs and follow us for the next 10 years. And if you win, then we give up the show and follow you around for the next 10 years. So it's a little risky, so we probably won't do it. Right. <laughs> but even if we won, we wouldn't want to do that anyways. No. <laughs> so um, anyway, so the first part was really kind of a deep dive into his life. And I thought he was very sharing. And, you know, I, I went through the episodes and I kind of like took all the little pearls that he said there, uh, that they're all pretty self-explanatory, but they're great, you know? Mm-hmm. So I really talked a lot about his ideas about, you know, uh, culture and why you have to be critical of it. He talked about things that he thought were worthwhile being critical of American culture, which is a major theme of our show. 
uh, he talked about, you know, his experiences that kind of existentially drove him forward. So it's really great. And I hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah. And keep in mind what, you know, as we record these, the, the longer episodes, I usually break them into a couple episodes. So what we're referring to right now is the first of the two Robert Thurman episodes, the one that's more focused on his history. And yeah, then now what we'll talk about now will be the second, second of the two episodes where he's more discussing the, the deeper teachings. Yeah, I saw your cuts on that. What did you title the first one again, Daniel? To I mean, you gave it a good title, but now I'm spacing on it. Uh, I think I titled it. Uh, no, the second one is titled Expressing the Inexpressible. Yeah. The, the first one is titled uh, Robert Thurman, The Story of Liberation. And that was in his reference to uh, the, the Tibetan word namtar, meaning liberation story, because you had asked him about. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You yeah, had yeah. asked him about some of his. Uh, you know, some of the hero or heroes or, or fabled characters. Heroes and heroines of uh, of Tibet. They had these great stories. Yeah. 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 And so you asked yeah. him about his Namtar. That was interesting because, you know, you have someone who's talked so much about their life so publicly. It was one of these exercises. Could you ask questions in a different way that might give him a chance to say something different? So we gave right. it our best tumble. We did our best. Yeah. The only thing to comment on in the first episode before we move on would be, uh, it was really funny and I did write him back about it. He was asking me about uh, my hair mm-hmm. <laughs> and my age. <laughs> And it really cracked me up. So when I wrote the thank you back, I said, thank you for coming on, Dr. Thurman. And uh, your comment on Grecian formula in my hair really cracked me up. Hmm. <laughs> and I told them the story. Basically, everyone in my family goes Richard Gere Gray really young. Hmm. So in our 20s, we're all like that, you know. Uh, and so I had a patient when I was working with these in the HIV uh, clinic you know, public health in Chicago, Cook County Hospital. One of my patients did uh, hair and makeup for one of the TV studios in Chicago. And he was quite adamant that I had to change my look. Oh. So he kept pestering me and pestering me and pestering me till eventually I came over and he like redid my hair. Oh. <laughs> so that's the story behind the backstory of my hair that Dr. Thurman was commenting on. So anyways, I shared the story back with him and he did not comment back. He did not. <laughs> But he's a busy man. So we were chasing him around for all of our little emails. So yeah, we're, we're grateful um, that he came on. Yeah. The guy who cut my hair made it like really like uh, this patient of mine. He dyed it out because, you know, we all go Richard. We all go Richard uh, Gear or Anderson Cooper, CNN guy, Gray. It's just a thing by your 20s. So it was like, he was like, fuck that shit. Don't do that. You know? Right. right. Um, and as long as you look young enough, pull it off. And, but he, he styled it up like really tall. So I kind of ended up looking like a, kind of like a very dark haired uh, beaker from the Muppet show or something. It yes, wasn't my look. Now we're talking. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I have to reject this haircut. Uh, uh, but thank you for, uh, for uh, inspiring my change of look. <laughs> anyway, so that's the only thing from the first part. And it was just really funny. And it just shows his sense of humor. He's a funny, he's a funny guy. And actually he yeah. was very, he doesn't, you know, it's the first time he's really meeting us. We exchange via uh, email, but he's definitely willing to call you out on some shit too. So I like that as well. Daniel yeah, and I were talking a, about that afterwards. That was without fun. a doubt. All right. So the important part for us is to do part two, which yeah. is our really what is enlightenment conversation. And the idea is we've had different people coming on to talk about different aspects of spiritual theory, uh, Buddhist tantric theory, especially. Um, but, you know, this is our goal of the show. And you know, so he went really deep. We asked him to, and he went very deep. So um, we're going to try to go through what we think are some of the major points. Uh, one of the things you want to talk about in the beginning, Daniel, was I, I kind of opened the conversation by referencing this old magazine called What is Enlightenment? And I think I have an old copy. So I think uh, where they talk about the Tantra. So I might just take a, a photo of the cover page, pop it up on the Instagram so people know even what we're talking about. But my point was just a conversation starter. 
you know, um, mm -hmm. just to say, you know, there's a magazine called What is Enlightenment? Well, what is it? You know, you'd read the magazine hoping somebody would tell you before you, before you knew too much about all this stuff. And, but he got very adamant at that point that he had done an interview with the magazine and that they were um, problematical, I think, right? The, yes. um, the guy who was the head of the magazine, um, he, he really thought that he was um, uh, very kind of a little bit cultish and authoritarian. And that was really great that he said it. I think you were too, Daniel, that we're mm -hmm. obviously against those kinds of things. And we talk about that constantly on this podcast. Anything that gets too culty or anything that seems authoritarian, you know, um, that's not good. <laughs> and it was an interesting conversation, that part with Dr. Thurman, because he really, he ended an interview with a magazine and they just didn't like him because he wasn't, he wasn't complying with whatever he thought, uh, whatever they thought his ideas were supposed to be. Yeah, interesting, Daniel. Yeah. Yeah, no, without a doubt. It, it was, uh, you know, I think the term he used was authoritarian dependency and how that is a, a, a you know, like an innate character trait uh, for a lot of people. And that people will essentially kind of like, suspend or withhold critical thinking or judgment when the person that is in, in the position of authority, you know, or they put the position, allow that person to take that position, uh, they'll kind of suspend their own, not beliefs, but they'll suspend their, 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 you know, imprints upon him or her. And, and when he was saying that, I just couldn't help but think about, you know, a couple of different things. Number one, you know, the kind of the state of the, the world in a, you know, a geopolitical arena. It's not just this country, but many other countries who are experiencing kind of this, this similar thing and this, you know, you know, pop culture ish uh, political leaders that it's now you're famous. Now you're like a celebrity, you know, and that the, the people who follow, and maybe it's always been this way. I just feel like it's a little bit more hyper hyperized, you know, at the moment. And people will just, you know, no one could do anything wrong, no matter what it is. It's like, in, in, if you believe, if you're a supporter of them, then you're essentially, you can't say anything negative against them. It's really difficult for people to do that. And so that was a reminder of that part. And then it kind of reminded me also, which ties in to something that Bill Maher said, you know, maybe six, eight months, maybe a year ago, is that like, or maybe two years ago, actually, at this point, about how like the superhero culture you know, there's a lot of movies and superheroes and stuff like that. Like we're sort of looking for, there's like this savior complex, you know, that people are looking for someone to do that, to save, I guess, to be the hero and which we all are in some level who, who wouldn't want that, but it, it removes the empowerment of the individual, I believe ultimately, and, and takes the responsibility away from us by saying, well, I did this, or I did that because of this person and their guidance or this person and their beliefs. And I just don't think that fits with what we're trying to do here on the show with what we're trying to do with our patients and our friends and, you know, other people like that in life. Um, people should be empowered period. And the idea that you would suspend that because you believe somebody just so that you can be viewed as believing them to me is, is not a, a healthy way to exist in the world. Yeah. It's kind of interesting for me and my responses to what you're saying are what on the one hand, we really have talked about this cultish aspect. Mm -hmm. a number of episodes and we really did one sort of on binary thinking polarized thoughts so if anyone's really curious in that conversation we kind of referenced matt taibbi's book on this and how there's just this polarizing influence in the culture yeah 
and we have this pending plan that gets brought up occasionally. We just had other things going on to really talk about the comic book influence and the culture, both positive and negative. And I guess that Correct. would be the negative side. Yeah. Waiting for, you know, Shazam to come in and save you in your life is not really going to happen. And, you know, I think from a Buddhist point of view, the design is uh, the design of life in a sense, if you want to, if you want to say it that way, you know, is um, that we all do that for ourselves in our own way and come to our own enlightenments, right? rather than having some external figure, even the greatest spiritual teacher, if you want to make that Buddha, whoever you want to make it, isn't going to be able to do that for you. They can, they're guiding you right through their, um, through their teachings there and their examples, you know, but uh, it's all for us to do that. The other thing that hit me a little bit was that the, on the cultish thing, you know, there is this idea, which can be good, of course, that you say you're going to get rid of someone's ego, quote unquote. Yeah. But what sometimes happens in organizations that really emphasize that very strongly, and if they are darker organizations, is that it's a way of saying, we're going to try to nullify your personality and your personal autonomy. And I think you're right, Daniel, there are people who maybe are a little set up psychologically to really like that kind of thing, too. This, this harkens back to our kind of conspiracy episodes a little bit on the psychological aspect, I think. Yeah, very true. Yeah, this idea that you might have people who are like a little bit prone inside, you know, we talked about psychological reasons of what make people vulnerable to those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. It does harken back to that. And, but you know, this whole thing of like, we're going to get rid of your ego, we're going to get rid of your ego. I'm always a little bit cautious whenever anyone talks that way. I kind of reach for my wallet a little bit to make sure they're not trying to pick my pocket, mm -hmm. you know? So that's just something to be aware of. And again, that's not to critique every, every teacher or teaching that talks that way. But no. there is a little danger in that. So, you know, Jen, maybe just be as public service announcement, maybe just be a little aware of that. For know? sure. Yeah. Because the, the, yeah, he did mention, he mentioned that part that that kind of has the tendency to create cults. Yeah. And he talked specifically with that What is Enlightenment magazine that mm -hmm. what he found in that guy who was the founder of it was that that was a little bit his motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, and the other part that I thought was real interesting is that he said at the end, when, when you know, everybody starts to realize that like this, being is not the you know the hero that they thought they were and that their ego is not going to be completely eliminated uh by bowing down to their quote-unquote teacher that there is a recoil and that the recoil the recoil recoil sorry in opposition to that person is as equal as their veneration for that person i think that's right people get very bitter and angry afterwards Mm -hmm. And I think I've seen that in people that I know they put their faith in another person in this way that probably isn't healthy ultimately. And when that person can't deliver this thing, which they, you know, whether they maybe not even have been promising what this person wanted, maybe they weren't even doing that, you right. know, maybe their intentions from the teacher's side was really good and they weren't even asking for that, but I've seen people do that. And then they walk away really bitter. You're right, Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was a good part of the conversation. Um, okay. The other part I thought was really good was we talked about epiphanous moments. So uh, he, yeah. this is one of the ones where he kind of called me out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh. So I was really talking about enlightenment as a state. And we're going to try to describe that. But then he also said, hey, don't forget about the epiphanous moments. You know, those are important things too. So I think sometimes when people talk about enlightenment, they talk about these epiphanous experiences. Yeah. Um, but there's also a thing that we're going to try to like get to, which is the theory of what an enlightened being is, you know? Uh, so we'll try to talk about both sides of this, but he was definitely like, you know, epiphanous moments, they're great things. So mm -hmm. don't sell them short. Well, and they make, they make changes. 
that caused the being to change, you know, they, it's like a definitive mark marking point. Uh, and that sometimes they come through psychedelics. Yeah, he got to that point too, which I've actually grabbed all those quotes. And I think I'm going to pop them up on Instagram and Facebook and so on. I think we're gonna start doing our GNT quotes. So I grabbed them out. And he said, don't sell short the epiphanous moments. Uh, there's lots of great epiphanous moments, almost as good as a really good acid trip. <laughs> um, and those can be the door to open up epiphanous moments. And he, mm -hmm. then he also said something that we've talked about. You know, we have our uh, uh, spirituality and psychedelics episode up on uh, YouTube now. Mixology, that's the name of the episode. Uh, uh, spirituality and psychedelics. And he says, well, like, let's face it, people who pretend that they didn't get started that way are pulling their leg because they mostly did. Right. <laughs> so it was good. So we have a couple of quotes from him about that. And we'll just make sure those are available to people, you know, just to enjoy his comments on that, because that's been something we've been talking about in the show, too. Um, yeah, Daniel certainly has a passion around this point for sure. And like, so when he got to that point, Daniel and I, from our sides of the Zoom, were just smiling at one another. <laughs> like, so I was like, oh, yeah, that's it unprompted yeah unprompted we were going to ask him to do it at the end of the episode and he just went there without even having to say boo uh -huh. about it so that's uh that's when the, you know a teacher's helping you out so okay so that was great um and then we really got to the point of what enlightenment is and you know he really took a very interesting approach to it so you know we can try to kind of talk through it as we go through i think the first point he was making was and he does this a lot which is that enlightenment is really happiness, and you could even go farther and probably say bliss. You know, it's um, it's this state and experience that has that. And that he makes the point a lot that you know this the discovery of Buddhism isn't suffering. Sometimes people will say that, and he says, you know, anyone could tell you about suffering. You could just walk out the door and see suffering. You don't need some special Buddha person to tell you that life has suffering within it, right? The the discovery of Buddhism and the Buddha you know, as a historical figure, uh, however you feel about, you know, him as a historical figure existing or not existing, you know, we've talked about that issue too. But the discovery is uh, happiness and bliss, right? And I, I actually love that he says it that way, because it takes it away from, I think, what can sometimes seem to be the more, more morbid aspects of the way people interpret this. I think Buddhism's trying to be realistic and saying, yeah, life is going to have its sufferings, you have to be honest with yourself about that. But that's not the discovery. The discovery is the transcendence of that and the bliss part. Yeah, no, I think so. I, I I liked how he I liked how he put that, um, that happiness is liberation from suffering. Yeah, yeah, I think you used that as part of your intro part too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it just it, it's a nice way, and like he said, it, it it doesn't it doesn't kind of like placate all of the the bumps in the road, and it doesn't say that everything is la la life is my you know like just sheer pleasure, but you know, in, in, a in an argument, not in, a, not in like a, a heated argument, but in a debate, right. That when you don't have something else, you inherently have something that's remaining. Right. And so in this, in this case, if you don't have suffering, the belief in the, the inherent human potential or the inherent human posture of existence is that the unfettered mind or the unfettered heart or unfettered soul is a content one, a happy one. Yeah. Probably in Tantra, you even say blissful. Yeah. Right. And, or, and so or maybe even orgasmically blissful. There you go. You know, sometimes they compare it to like a hundred times better than the best orgasm you ever had in your life. Right. And so, so that's the, you know, why we're just to highlight why we're doing the commentaries, because that's part of the, that's part of the argument. 
that probably goes unsaid. I mean, it's said, but it's not so specifically highlighted. And so to, to take that as it is, as to take like enlightenment or being free from suffering as a birthright that we all have the potential to, to attain, that that birthright is not just the removal of something, but it's actually like a full embodiment of who we are, which is happy, content, blissful beings. Yeah, it's, I, you know, it's it's interesting because he has Dr. Thurman has such strong feelings about America. I think in talking to him, it really comes through. Mm -hmm. You know, he has some interesting connection. Even when he was talking about his visions, he had visions of like all these sort of statue bust statues. You know, of um, you know Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton and all the founders. He's, there's something very deep. You know, if you want to just take a step back and think about him as a person, he really wants to transform this country. Yeah, you know. And because he had this very interesting thing where he was saying that the initial thing in the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness could have been the pursuit of property. Right. There was pressure to do that. And he says it's, he almost seemed to say it was sort of karmically fortuitous that that word property got expunged and the word happiness got put in instead. Because at least it opened up the possibility of thinking, oh, maybe my life really is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's a much more noble trio than putting property as the last part. <laughs> You right, know. because inherent in that argument is that property will make you happy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, 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 it's so true. Um, so if we get to like, you know, we've been doing these episodes on stages of the tantric path. And so once you kind of have this idea that, you know, your birthright really is happiness then, right? If you go back to our founding documents, you know, flawed as they may have been and by the people who made them that were flawed. If you get to that one little trio, that's probably a good trio. You know, yeah, yeah. and um, this gets to the idea of we have a whole episode where it's, this is talked about along with other stages of the path things, but it's the preciousness of your life that you can go through and you can use your life to accomplish these things. And you can see if you get that idea, you can hear him going back to that again and again, you know, use your life in a positive way. Don't don't sell your life short. Your life has much more potential than what maybe the culture gives you gives it credit for, you know. And he, he kept going back to it and he kept hitting it. So, you know, that's really what he's doing there. He's tapping into that part of the, the tantric Buddhist thought and saying, you know, don't sell your life short. You know, don't let a, a scientific materialist overly that way worldview tell you that you're nothing. Because he kept using that word a lot. Don't think yes. you're nothing. Don't think right? you're nothing. And then also don't think that, you know, and he said it in a really interesting way. Don't think maybe from the other side, the way this is presented in America and our fight between these two worldviews, yeah, from a religious point of view, the parts that can get overly oppressive and say, you know, you're flawed and imperfect and you can't understand things. You can understand things. Yes. Yeah. Right? I mean, that was one thing he, he ended with was that reality is totally comprehensible, totally comprehensible. And he used the he used the uh, comparison of being uh, omnivorous. So omnivorous, meaning that like a person hasn't eaten everything, but they would be willing, they'd be open to eating all plants, every, everything. They're open to eating it. And so he said that, that our beings as we are, are omniscient. And, and I think when we take that term and we think about it, we, we generally think that means it's all knowing, it's omniscient. But really omniscience or omniscient is meaning that you're open to knowing you're open to knowing things in the when way that you're open to eating something comes uh along your path you can understand it yes even if you haven't encountered it yet yes right? just like you might, you're an omnivorous person but you've never been to the part of the world where they eat like the certain kind of bug well you're going to eat it right you're, right <laughs> you're, you're open come to, to know it right yeah. you're, you're at an old country buffet 
and you've never seen this color jello with what appears to be fruit in it, but it's not fruit, it's something else, but you're an omnivore, so you'll eat it, you know, and you're open. But you have the ability to internalize everything, even <laughs> the things that have been sitting on that buffet for the last like seven hours. Yes. Yeah, and you'll right. be fine. You'll be you know, totally the, other fine. Part, the other part that I think we'll get to is, I think like part of what you're saying with the omniscience thing, and, and we'll come back to it, is that it doesn't mean that you're gonna overpower everything. You're not gonna devour everything in your path, you know? You're, uh, you're an omnivore, but it doesn't mean you can eat up every single thing. Just because right. you're omniscient, it doesn't mean that you're going to have to try to have power over everything. But this really gets down to the deep part of like this kind of theory of what Buddhism is trying to do, you know, and we'll get to it. But, you know, Buddhism is kind of, and a lot of these spiritual philosophies, they're pretty radical in what they're saying the possibilities are. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, you know, in our culture, and he was, he's very clever the way he says this. So just to give him his props, he says, on the one hand, you might be convinced that you have a scientific worldview and people will tell you that you can't really know and understand everything. We can measure and analyze things, but you're always going to be kind of a little bit left in the dark, right? Because you can never fully analyze things down to the end. And then the other situation, you can say maybe God or maybe God's son can know everything, but you can't know everything. So either way, you're getting kind of like boxed in potentially, and you're not being maybe given the full possibility of what uh, a living thing has to potentially accomplish, right? Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. As always, please like, subscribe, and share. For any questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to cover on the show, please email us at ginandtantra at gmail.com. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace. To get together, I want you to get put your hands together one time. I want you to get together. I want you to get together.